just past 7 o'clock and another huge show on tap for you tonight. You hear the music, you know what's going to happen. It's time for Iron Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, busy week. And, um, you know, the NFL always doing a great... NFL always doing a great job of um, keeping themselves in the headlines. And just a few minutes before we go on air, what do you know? Sam Darnold's getting traded. Well, I think every week we're getting more quarterback news from the NFL. It's like each week it's something happens in terms of what happens. We had the trade last week with the 49ers. Now this week with Sam Darnold. It's like every, all the uh, dominoes are falling into place. So, Ira, um, first and foremost, where have you been? I was at tennis the entire week, doing tennis the entire week, uh, trying doing that, and then watching a lot of the NCAA. But uh, I think six straight days of, of, of watching tennis. And then the one thing is uh, we're talking about the NCAAs. I had been to – everyone's saying they were comparing um, – but I was actually at the Sixers at this, at this in Philadelphia, not the Sixers, but actually where they played was the Spectrum 104-103 when Duke beat Kentucky, uh, considered with the Leitner last shot. And it was similar to this game because both teams played very, very well. They were scoring points. Kentucky had Jamal Mashburn, who ended up having a very good NBA career. And Duke had, of course, Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, uh, Bobby Hurley, mm-hmm. Thomas Hill. And it was just that element of that game. And Rick Pitino was coaching everything about that game. I was sitting right behind the Duke bench. I mean, when that ha- I mean, it was, the game was up and down. I had My girlfriend was on the upper deck, and I had a one seat. And I put her with my best friend. Friend. And so my best friend, my girlfriend, said, I said, at halftime, I told my best friend, I'll switch with you. The game was so good. I said, I'll deal with my girlfriend yelling at me. I'm staying down here my whole time. And back in those days, they didn't have cell phones. So he's not like, you know, we're, hey, Ira, come switch seats. I, I wasn't switching that seat. And all I do is I remember after, the, after he hit that shot, the Duke fans, I was like, you know, slammed by everybody, jumped on each other. And it was an amazing ending. But that was the, the game. And then that let Duke to go into the final. Remember, that wasn't a final four game. Yeah. That was an elite eight game. They go in the final four. They beat Cincinnati. Then they beat Michigan and win the national championship. But people talk about what's the greatest games of all time. It's, many believe, I, and I believe I was at the game, but the year before in the Final Four when Duke beat UNLV, UNLV had beat them the year before. They were undefeated. They were like Gonzaga, but they were a team where everybody knew there was NBA players all over the roster. They were then playing Duke in the semifinals. Duke, this is the rematch game, and UNLV was up. Duke came back. There wasn't a last quote, last second win shot, but UNLV was winning. It was back and forth the entire game, and Duke barely won. And, and what I like about that game is that Duke then went on and won the national title. So they won two national titles. UNLV had won one. Two, both teams, I consider two of the greatest basketball teams of all time. They actually met in that game. They both played well. It was a setting game. To me, that was the greatest basketball game I've ever seen. That was even better than the Leitner game. But this certainly, the Gonzaga UCLA game was, was tremendous. Everyone's saying, oh my gosh, I can't deal with another game like that because I'm <laughs> going to give me a heart attack. It, it, tonight is going to be great. Uh, 9-20, they're going to tip off. Talking about those two prior games, were you there just out of luck, Ira? Or were you, did you go to like 20 games that No, that I was tournament? in law school, so I would, I would travel. I went to all the, I went to actually every single Duke game that year in the in the I went they played in Greensboro I went and then I went to Philadelphia for the two games there and then I went to Minneapolis for the national championship so I I followed them along I was there with that to see that but that was what uh was was just so exciting to be and then when you're a student at Duke and you're there and and what was neat about that year is the students the grad students going to sit behind the basket so I had great seats mm-hmm. for all these games they gave the students the best tickets so that was I would die for those type of tickets now <laughs> so it, 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 I mean there hasn't been that many down years for Duke 
Duke, but you really did get like the best years while you were there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what made that game. I mean, you have Grant Hill, and on the inbounds, people, Sean Wood, and this is what is sort of exciting about the comparison between the Suggs shot is that it was the score was tied. If Suggs misses that shot, goes into overtime. When when Kentucky had just scored to go up 103-102, Sean Woods made an amazing shot. So they're up now 103-102, three seconds to go, or not, I'm going to give the exact time, 2.8, I forget the time. <laughs> then Grant Hill throws the ball to Christian Leitner. He catches at the foul line uh, and then turns around and, and sinks that shot. If Leitner misses that shot, the Duke loses, they're out of the tournament, and Kentucky goes on to the Final Four. And also, it was the two-story teams, Duke and Kentucky. There was more drama in that aspect of the game. I mean, UCLA is definitely a storied team, and Gonzaga's playing well. So it was a great game, and I'm glad people watched it. But in the essence, it wasn't—I still think those—I'm sort of biased that I feel like the Duke, those Duke games were better. <laughs> I think it's recency bias, too, a little bit uh, on last night's game. Um, we are going to have a— Go ahead. No, go ahead. Here we're going to have a great guest uh, joining us here in just about six or seven minutes or so. It's Gary Waters, and uh, Ira's going to have a lot to uh, pick his brain on. Um, but Ira, let's talk about the game. And this, this was uh, like, regardless, it's going down for, for the ages, whether it was the best or not. My, I have. The, I'm so glad I have a radio show. Because today, all I heard, and I knew, and I heard it also yesterday, and I heard it today, is it's uh, Jalen Suggs. I mean, they talked about Suggs and Suggs, and I think he's phenomenal. I think he's going, Suggs is going to be one of the greatest. I think he's going to be a, not a, quite the great. I think he's going to be a great NBA basketball player. Very, mm -hmm. you know, all-star team, all this other stuff. But I think the story about Suggs is the team is Gonzaga. The whole team played well. It's Hawaii, who I think will have a better, I think Hawaii has a chance to become MVP of the league, of the NBA. I think he has all the skills. He plays great defense. He shoots well, passes well. He's phenomenal. I love him. Corey Kispert was the, uh, was the MVP of the league. He's now a senior, play great. Uh, Hawaii is a Junior Timmy is a sophomore. They're, they're the bigger guy who played great and who was always like you know was certainly going to be uh, up there in all the drafts. And right now they have Hawaii going 27th in the draft, Kispert going ninth in the draft, Timmy going 41st in the draft, and Suggs going third and fourth. And I think the fact that Suggs, who was recruited out of Minnesota, he was a star quarterback, star basketball player. He chose to go to Gonzaga. He's a one and done. He'll go pro. Everybody knew that. But he fit into the system. He only averaged on the team. He uh, averaged 14 points during the year. Kispert averaged 19. Timmy averaged 19. Hawaii averaged 12. Newhart, New Nemhart averaged nine. So the point is that there are other starters. Suggs was able to go to a situation and not say, "Look, I'm one and done. I'm going to be a star player on the team. I'm going to help out." And he, and I, that's what I think would make Suggs great. And he made the shot. But this team is more than Suggs. What makes Gonzaga great is that he, they are more than Suggs. The fact that they had... You don't go undefeated when you have one player. Right. <laughs> and what I loved about the game is they had made 37 field goals. They had 26 assists. Timmy had two. Kispert, five. Suggs, six. Nemhart eight. Hawaii, two. They pass the ball. They work plays. I love watching Gonzaga play. I've said it the first time we did our show. I said, I love this team. I love how they play. And I like that. And I'm so excited about that. And then, you you know, that's what I think what's, the story is this. And the other good thing about this, it's great great for college basketball because there are, I'm going to name two people, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, who you've never heard of. And most anybody who's listening to me has never heard these names. Those are two players that might go in the top five of the NBA draft, but they chose to go to the G League route where they're going with the NBA. Yeah. The NBA paid them money. They're play, they didn't really play in the G League this year, but they played in a certain thing and they're a select team or whatever. They didn't go to college because everyone's so concerned with these players now, like I am, that might just you know not go to college anymore. But Jalen Suggs just gave, I mean, he has now improved his stock in terms of everybody knows his name. Everybody knows how mm -hmm. well he plays. And I think that's what makes the difference in terms of 
helping him in terms of becoming this superstar. And it, that's what playing college basketball does. And also, the experience of that is great. Rather than being in G League in a game that no one sees you, you get to play in front of 10 million people in a game that everyone's going to talk about 25 years from now. No, it, it, it couldn't have worked out better. And the fact that all they do is win makes it a little bit uh, more exciting as well. I run Sports True Oldies Channel. We'll have Gary Waters on in just about four minutes or so. So, Ira, let's talk about how we got here. Well, first of all, I would like to say that Gonzaga beating USC was surprising by 20. Uh, I was concerned about USC as a Gonzaga fan. As, USC was a very good team, and they had the size with the two Mobley brothers, but uh, Timmy played great. I mean, that's so, uh, people who don't think Timmy's going to make it an NBA basketball player, I think he will. He passes the ball well. He has great Kevin McHale-type moves. People don't know who Kevin McHale is. He's one of the greatest <laughs> centers in the world in terms of five boards, three assists, two steals. And, and Kispert had 18 points. But I just like how they beat USC. And then the UCLA-Michigan game. I mean, Michigan, that it's game drove— game. That was a great game a great in itself. Game, yeah. Because th in that type of game, it was 47-46 uh, UCLA with 430 left in the game. And Michigan comes down eight straight, misses eight shots. I, I mean, I, I just thought Michigan gave that game away. Everyone criticized me. Oh, Michigan should be happy with that. I thought Michigan had the shot. They did not go inside. All they do is shoot threes. They were going one-on-one. -on -one. I did not like their offensive sets at all. They had two seven-footers, and they didn't throw. And then they had a chance at the end of the game to win the game. And instead of, they, they shot a three-pointer instead of having one of their seven-footers underneath the basket. So I just thought that was a, it was a great win for UCLA. And uh, Jazang, who was great against Gonzaga, but 11 for 19, 28 points. Uh, just he had 29 of their total of uh, 51 points. And Juzang, remember, was a was a player who was on Kentucky last year, and they, they didn't play him. And then he transfers, and look, you think Kentucky would, would need him this year? Let's um let's talk about Saturday because this was another one of the you know we talk about the uh, your phone events where your phone starts going crazy. You don't know what's happening. It was definitely happening on Saturday. The fact that they started the game, it was so fast. I mean, as much as the score, people say UCLA slowed the score down. It was just, I just like the fact that Gonzaga was able to take, when they when they get a turnover, they convert. They know how to trap, they know how to make plays. Hawaii scored like 12 points in a row, and Juzang was hot. You knew Juzang scored 12 points, so that was great. And then in the first half, Kispert had a shot at the end of the first half. I think if he misses that shot, I mean, that was sort of the difference in the game. But in the, they each team shot 59% in the in the first half, and you know, like 58 or 59% in the second half. So you were two great shooting teams. And uh, in the second half, Gonzaga took this lead. They were up 66-59 with 11 to go, and I thought thought at that point, oh man, Gonzaga's going to blow this game out. Like, this is the chance. Like, everyone kept telling me, don't worry, I've seen Gonzaga do it all the time. But I got to give UCLA credit. They just fought back and fought back. And, and one of the problems with Gonzaga is they were only one for seven on threes. So it's the one thing they did shoot well was the threes. But it's smart. They just didn't keep firing three-point out. They worked for the two-point shots and were able to get that. And uh, Kispert, though, he scored, had a great offensive board, scored, made it 81-79. And then uh, Jasquez, uh, I thought was a back, you know, talk about different calls both and forth. That's when he made the two free throws. But, uh, and, uh, and then, but the Kispert missed that three. But with no timeouts left, Jazang, when he drove down in the charge on Timmy, when Timmy drew the charge, I thought it was a good call, smart call, the way to do. I thought Timmy made a great play, uh, and that, and then it sent into overtime. But again, if Kispert makes that three at the end, that might have given them the doubt. He had a chance there to to take it. But in overtime, Timmy starts out three great shots. It goes up six, doing what I thought they should have been doing more in that game. Uh, but I got to give you some credit. They came back, they fought in, they wouldn't let it go, and uh, and then Juzang sort of uh, he took six 
takes a shot, misses it, gets the rebound, ties it up, and then Suggs. Uh, I, and I like the fact that it was more like Jordan style with the Bulls. No timeouts, just drive up, shoot, and uh, don't let the defense get set up. I think sometimes these offense, a team like Gonzaga at the end of the game should not be calling timeouts. These guys have played well together. They played together. They're smart. They're, besides Suggs, they're experienced. They shouldn't be calling. That's why you never saw the Bulls call timeout to set up play. It's like we have Jordan, <laughs> we have Pippen. We don't need Phil Jackson to call play. Jordan and Pippen will figure out how to, how to go. I mean, Jordan's last shot, they got the re-steal off him alone. Jordan didn't even look to the bench. He just went and then he hit the last shot. Mm-hmm. That. So the great teams don't call timeouts. They know how to play. Well, it's time to see if I've coached things that as well. It's Coach Gary Waters joining us here on Iron Sports. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of the day. Thank you. Thank you for inviting. <laughs> Coach Waters, um, I appreciate you coming on the show. And I have to apologize. I know you have a book out called 10 Principles of Character Coach. I've had guests on for the last couple of years, tons of authors. And I did not have a chance to read your book. I was planning to put you on later. But then we had that great game we had and the, now all this excitement. So I promise you in the next week, I have a schedule to read your book. And I can't wait to read it considering your experience at Kent State, Rutgers, and Cleveland State. But I wanted to have you on the show to give it, you know, give your analysis of the of this amazing final four that we're having right now oh it is amazing it's no question about that you know a question was asked me uh how how unique is this uh situation now with uh having one versus one i think that's a that's got to be amazing i mean think about it we all all the games that have been played all the upsets and now we're down to the top two teams in america Right. And in terms of your book of the character coach, you were coach at Kent State five years, Rutgers five years, Cleveland State for 11. You resurrected programs that hadn't, you know, were in the dumps really and brought them back. Talk, you know, a lot of we've been talking about Gonzaga with Mark Few, but what about what the job that, that Drew did has done with Baylor in terms of where that program was and now look at them playing in the national championship game? You're exactly right. Drew has done a fabulous job, and uh, and I, you know, how well they compete and and how well they play each and every game. You can see his stamp right on it. And in terms of like, how do you what what's this like? What did he have to do? I mean, you realize before. I mean, there was that people were some of their players were arrested for murder, and so they went. It was it could be could go as further down as you possibly can go. He comes into a situation and 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 just has to complete. And there wasn't really that background that Baylor basketball being you know all these titles sort of what Cronin walked in UCLA. There was no background of Baylor, but able to turn this program around and get these recruits and get a style of play. Oh, yeah. You know, and that that was not easy because it's like he had the death penalty over his program. And when you had a death penalty, no one wants to go there. No one wants to play for that school. And then you got to not only bring in recruits, you got to change the whole culture. So it doesn't have any of that. What I call it, I use this in my book, even stench on it, you know, that you can't you can't rub off. You can't get rid of. And he, he changed it completely. And then on the other hand, you have Mark Few, who stepped, it seems like a zillion years ago at Gonzaga, into Coach Monson, had, had taken the team to the NCAAs and, and, and with the program. But then he sort of, Mark Few took on this program and just ran with it and built it and the job that he did and, and, and turning down offers to go everywhere to other schools or whatever and stay yeah. in Gonzaga and turning that into a power. Yes, you know, you, you know, he could have basically gone any place he wanted to go with all the success he has had. But you know what? He decided to, to do it right at his place. And he put he made a commitment to that. And you see where they're at right now. They're the number one team in America. 
And then I did want to talk about it. You talk about coaches in terms of what they were able to accomplish. I mean, Mickey Cronin of uh, of UCLA, oh, yes. considering that he was they were they said he was the fourth choice to be the coach there. No, really, no South uh, Southern L, uh, California background at all. Comes from Cincinnati. Surprises by everybody. And and this year, remember, they lost three of their best players. But the culture that he put in, the, the, the way these players play, and how he was able to make this run in this tournament, just amazing. You know what? You know, when you go back and think about it, when they look at, uh, let's say, Western basketball or California basketball, they, they have a little term they add to it. And, it's, and I hate to use it, and they call it soft. What he did is go into that program and, and take – take what he could take from each player and make them as tough as they possibly could be and go out there and compete. And I tell you, they had to be one of the toughest teams in the tournament. And before we keep talking, we're talking to Coach Waters, uh, who wrote uh, Gary Waters of 10 Principles of a Character Coach, uh, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. He was a coach for uh, Kent State, Rutgers, and Cleveland State for 21 years. Uh, so, but one, a little local connection here. We, a lot of, I mean, a big fan favorite of ours has been Norris Cole. Everyone remembers him from the great heat days <laughs> in terms of the championships. But you coached Norris at Cleveland State, right? Exactly, and uh, he was uh, he was a great player for us. He led us to the NCAA, uh, and he just you know he was not only a great player, he was a great person. His personality was unbelievable. And you know when you look at that, and you look at people trying to go to that next level, you can't only look at how they play. You got to look at who they are and what they do with what they play with. Yeah, and I think that's one of the comments. I mean, you being at the Kent State and the Cleveland State, uh, my friend Mike Azzolino coaches Robert Morris in the Horizon Conference also. The, but the point is when they look at Gonzaga, I mean, they're like, oh, well, their schedule's so easy. They don't play tough teams. Uh, you know, the big, the big power fives, those teams are so much harder. I, I think some, I think the mid-majors do not get enough credit for, for week in and week out, even playing. Because it's sometimes harder to go into these small, in these arenas where there's 15,000 fans. I mean, it's like, you know, You've been in the Horizon League. There are teams like Wright State that do draw like 12,000, 13,000 fans, and it's hard to play in those places. Yeah. It is. It is. And it's very competitive. But, you know, you look at Mark Pugh. Uh, when you look at the non-conference at the beginning of the year, he plays all the top schools, as many as he can, and he comes out victorious. So, you know, even though he goes into his conference, which is considered a mid-major conference, he's a high-major program. Well, wow. so what do you look for in terms of well? What, first of all, let's get your impression of the of the Gonzaga UCLA game. What did you? I mean, what was your feelings of that game in terms of the UCLA just staying in that game and not letting Gonzaga, which I expect. I mean, waiting for Gonzaga to make that 10, 12 point run, they never did. Well, I tell you this: you didn't want to bet bet on that game, you know, go for any odds because you would have lost immediately in that game. You know, I thought I thought Gonzaga was going to take them over. Eventually, you know, you got to think about it. They came from the, the first game play in to all the way to that point. So, they, I mean, they had to compete every time they went on the floor. And see, being the 11th seed, they're playing another 11th seed, which are really not 11th seed because they're, they're of the power five nature. They put them in the 11th seed. And so when they compete against each other, they're like Michigan State. Michigan State wasn't an 11th seed. It had to be, I think, a five or six seed. And then UCLA showed that they were a five and six seed. However, they played against each other in that first game, and you know what how that went. And then the next game, and the next game. So their team had to get up for each and every one of those games. That's really hard to do. 
Right, right. So what in terms of the championship game, what do you think? It's Zaga Baylor. I mean, Baylor's a team that I've loved watching all year. They like to go up and down, and, and they're going to want to run. They're going to run, you know, whereas UCLA said, we'll slow the ball down, we'll run plays. I think Baylor thinks that they can run with Gonzaga, and they're, it's uh, to me like this is Hagler-Hearns, where they're just going to go out and start pounding. They're going to be punching <laughs> from, from the round. When the bell rings, they're going to be shooting and move, running plays, and it's gonna, it's you know, it'll be another like 110 to 108 or something crazy. Well, I don't know if it's going to be that, but I know this. Each team will try to play their style. And and Baylor plays up and down and they and, and they and, and they get in transition and they play. But I think the difference here is uh, Baylor don't really care about the opposition because they feel they can defend them. So, I don't know if they can defend uh, the number 1 team in in offense in college basketball, but they think they can. So you'll see much of that throughout this game. Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing about Baylor, it it's some of the greatest college basketball teams of all time have been had those three guards. They have Teague, Mitchell, and Butler. Butler gets a, you know more of most of the credit of the team. But if you watch Debbie and Mitchell play and then see how he scores and gets assists, but then there's some games that Teague can, is their leading scorer. I just like the fact that they sort of, if you try to double one, then another person starts scoring. I like how the three three of those guards work well together for Baylor. Well, I also like it, too, because, you know, in, my great teams had three guards, and, and it was very difficult to guard them because they could all handle the ball, they could all pass the ball, and they could all shoot the ball. And so when you get those three things going, a triple threat in guards, and you got three of them, then, you, you know, we talk about that, but then we throw in Timmy. <laughs> I mean, he made, I, I made a comment about their team that they remind me of that Duke team with Leitner as close to any team I've ever seen. And if they can continue to do that, I mean, you know, it's going to be hard to beat them. You know, I picked them to win the whole thing, but I watched Baylor as of late, and they're defending and playing. I think it's going to be a great, great championship game. Well, you make a great point there about Timmy in terms of his ability. When you have a center that can pass the ball, Bill Walton style, in terms of making these great bounce passes and what other passes, it just opens up everything. And I just said before you got on the air, I love Hawaii. I think Hawaii potentially could be the best of all of them in terms of the pros, just the fact that he plays such great defense. Yeah, yeah. and we we haven't even mentioned mentioned him. And no one usually mentions him. Think about the last game, how he came on and played well. That's a, that's a tough team to go against. But on the, on the other side or the, the opposite side of the court, you got that Baylor team that's got four or five guys that can go. The young man that comes off their bench, the 6'8 kid, that kid can really shoot the basketball. So you really have to play him. Right, right, right. Well, Coach Waters, I, you know, I, again, I want to apologize. I, th- I appreciate you coming on I Run Sports. We're down here in West Palm Beach. Um, and I know you have the, the book called Ten Principles of Character Coach. I'm going to definitely read the book. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those things. Why don't you just tell us a little about what we're going to see if we read the book. Uh, when, I will read the book, but what, am I gonna, what would I see when I, when I read the book? Well, first of all, you know, the book is about character. And that's my whole objective. And I, I wrote the book in that purpose. And when, and when I wrote it, I was, I was just retiring. And there was a lot of scandals going on in college basketball. And I just said, man, is this what this sport is really all about? You know, I, I didn't come into this sport believing that. However, you know, when I wrote the book, and I, if you don't mind if I just read you something quickly. Go ahead, of course. Really short. Yeah, uh, and, it's, and when I thought about all this, I said, let's go back to where the game started. And I used Naismith. And this is what he said. 
Nate Smith believed that if you elect to be a coach, it was also your responsibility to be an advisor, counselor, and father figure, and to act at all times as an example to student-athletes in your care. He also envisioned that sports should develop character, foster patriotism, and instill ethical values that would serve participants well in later life. And when, you know, when I read that, I said, is this what, are we like this? Is this what we, this sport is all about? And I had question marks in my mind. So when I had question marks, that's why I wrote this book. Wow, that's that's awesome. We had last week we had C.Y. Young, uh, the Florida State assistant coach, on, and uh, I saw him with Terrence Mann at the draft. And when Terrence was drafted, how he hugged him and, and almost broke him, <laughs> broke him in two because he was so thankful and kept thanking him. And then I had them both on the show, and you see that, and you're like, you know, this is that's the good stories in terms of what how coaches are able to help develop people to reach their dreams. Now Terrence is a star, with, or a star, but close, you know, starting now for the Clippers. But the point is, right. they're so such a great impact that coaches can have, but we, we sometimes hear so much of the negative and not of the positive. And there's a lot of positives out there. And that's why I wrote the book also, because I wanted to give coaches an alternative way to coach and how to deal with the people they have in front of them. You know, let me, I'll give you a couple of principles. Improve yourself, improve others. Live with integrity and honesty. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Uh, then I got value, loyalty, empower and serve. All these things coaches should do with their players as well as their coaches to make them become the very best they can become. Well, those all sound. Those are definitely aspirations we should all have, and I can't wait to. I can't wait to read your book, and I really appreciate. I know this is busy. I know you're probably at home, ready to to watch the game and get excited like we are when we're done. So, but I appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some time. So, thanks a lot, Coach. Oh, I I, I loved every minute of it. Now, mm -hmm. understand that this book is not only for coaches, because I, I may have not made that clear. It's also for parents. It's also for business leaders, businessmen, leaders. All, all these principles are designed so you can be the best person you can be and help others do the same. Thanks again. Ten Principles of a Character Coach by uh, Coach Gary Waters. Thanks a lot, Coach, for coming on I Run Sports. Okay. Thank you, Aaron. Great stuff there uh, from Coach Gary Waters. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo alongside Ira. I, I think we were still breaking down uh, Saturday's game because it started to get real crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, just sort of like the game was. But, no, I think we, we covered in terms of what I felt that was. And, and then, uh, you know, the, there's not much to talk about. I rushed home as a tennis. I rushed home for Baylor-Houston. First of all, the game is over like in an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah. One of the, that's the one beauty about college basketball. People who don't watch a lot of it like I do, they it's over fast. It's only 220-minute halves. They actually cut the number of timeouts. So the games are done. That's why it's great when you say, I'm going to go see a doubleheader. You can go see a doubleheader of basketball, and you're done in four hours. So it's it's fun from that. But I think that in Baylor played great against Houston. We talked about uh, Teague, Mitchell, and Butler. And those three guards, went, Teague is a senior, Mitchell's a junior, and Butler's a junior. Uh, three players that all potentially could play in the NBA, and they like to, to run. Now, remember, Baylor and Gonzaga were supposed to play earlier in the year. That game was canceled because of COVID problems with the Gonzaga program. And, and when the year started, uh, Baylor went out 17-0. They had this huge run. They were shut down for three weeks because of COVID. When they come back, they had to play Kansas like the next game, and then they lost, and they lost Oklahoma State. But if they weren't shut down with COVID, I think we could have two undefeated teams playing each other. This is going to be a great, great national championship. All right, I mean, I'm not expecting you to go back on your Gonzaga pick that you made four months ago, but what do you think is going to happen to him? 
I think this is I, I, I've, I've talked to some people and I people start, most people disagree I think this is going to be do not miss the start the game starts at 920 do not miss the start because this start is going to be amazing they are going to go at it they are going to score and I think they're going to go up and down I think Baylor feels they're like we can run with Gonzaga we're going to do it and it's going to be one of the most exciting games with I think the styles are similar I think both teams are going to want to run Gonzaga will not want to slow they also play pressing defense they're going to make try to make turnovers on defense so that when you try to make it to push force a turnover they give shots this again the score I'd be shocked if this score was each team doesn't score over 100 points but I do think I'm not as sure that this game is going to be so tight at the end because I think eventually sort of like Hagler Hearns was only three rounds the point is that it, it could be one team might just get up by 20 25 it could this is a huge run that the other team can't come back on. Um, I think Gonzaga is going to be the team with that run. I think yeah. Baylor doesn't have the, I don't think they have, as the Coach Waters just said, they don't have Timmy. They don't have a big guy that's going to make these plays. They don't have some easy buckets. I think sometimes the buckets for Baylor are going to be harder to get when they start shooting threes and miss it. You saw what Gonzaga did. Gonzaga play UCLA. They go into overtime, and the first three times they go down, they throw it to Timmy underneath. It's like, done with everything else. We're just throwing it to Timmy. We're like going to let Timmy score the ball. And I think they don't, I don't think that Baylor is someone who can guard Timmy. And I think that's key. Now, Baylor only plays seven guys, but I, I do think that they will be, and you'll see some substitutions, but they do have other players. I've watched Gonzaga play every game this year. In worst case, if they get in foul trouble, they'll be able to bring some other, they, their backups are, some of them are star players themselves that next year they'll be leading Gonzaga. So, but <laughs> I, no, I, I like, I think Gonzaga's going to win. I think they're going to cover, and I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to, at least for the first half, going to be one of the best halves of basketball you've ever seen. I would, too, take the points, or I would give the points four and a half and take Take Gonzaga if, take I, if I had to pick. I think the over is a hundred and six. I got to check the over again, but whatever it was, I looked at it and I said it's like way on the over. And uh, we'll be uh, able to catch that tonight at nine twenty on CBS. So Ira. It's like the elusive gem that most people want their entire life to attend. You've been to, what, 13 Super Bowls, dozens of NBA Finals. Not that many. many. <laughs> You've never been to the Masters. You and asked me just, if you're going to mention I've said on the air that I've never been to the Masters. No, it's just, I know. It's, just, it's crazy someone like you can't get in. Well, consider I've been to five U.S. Open. So the point is yeah. that I've been to more. Some people view the U.S. Open. But I haven't been because it actually I've been to a lot of the Final Four. So sometimes you go to the Final Four, and it doesn't work to go. If you go to the Final Four, to go to the Masters. So I've been going to Final Fours. So say you're somewhere in Minneapolis, you don't then just fly down to Georgia to go to the Masters. It's been difficult to go to from a timing perspective. But also, it's also it's a very it has always been a super expensive ticket. This year, it's I, I've been playing the last few years ago, and it just hasn't worked out. But this year is ridiculous in terms of as I, I wrote an article. It's on Iron Sports uh, on the, on Facebook, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. But it's a story I wrote for the, in a sports article in some newspapers that talk about uh, the, the whole Masters. I said I compared it to Willy Wonka and chocolate factory <laughs> ticket because it's it's they have so few tickets that are available now the actual tickets for the masters are like 150 dollars but you have to be on like a waiting list of 100,000 years <laughs> and those are the people that get it and you have to be if you die you don't get to pass it on so it's like it's it, there's it's 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 hard to get these tickets and there's a lottery and the, that the lottery is the Willy Wonka path yeah you know, everyone there's like hundreds I put it every put, year and put a lottery <laughs> nobody ever wins and how they go and then but even selling the ticket it's like you don't I mean people who do sell you can buy these on StubHub but it's really difficult because if they catch you they'll like if you're a patron and you do that then you could lose your ticket rights mm -hmm. so you don't want to lose your ticket rights to the master so that's why there's so few available every year i mean just to walk the course it's like three to five thousand dollars that's not like 50 yard line seats that's just a right to walk around general admission no vip <laughs> no anything the five thousand dollars that's crazy yeah no it's, it's, it's definitely a little steep but it is the the best we can golf so let's talk about it yeah i mean i think 
this I'm excited. We're gonna. I, I, this is one of those situations where there's 90. We talked about this last year. That there's 90 entrants, but there's so many because the masters. And I love the tradition, which is if you've won it before, you get a lifetime. I, I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's great to bring people we back. Get to see Mike Weir every year. Yeah, you get Sandy <laughs> Lyle, Mike Weir, Larry Mize, Jose Riyad Fable, Ian Woosman, Fred Couples, Bernard Langer, who actually made the cut last year, though. <laughs> Stuart Singh, Charles Schwartzel, Jimmy Walker, and Danley Willett. All those guys have absolutely. Now, Willett, maybe, but he's yeah, he's not. Well, but he had that one crazy win over mm-hmm. speed. But the point is, they're not winning this tournament. They would take a miracle. It would be one of the biggest stories in the world if a. Uh, 65-year-old Sandy Lau would win the tournament. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but they're in it, and they take some of those 90 spots like, compared to, like, 140 at the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. So there's less people, and then you have a lot of amateurs. You have, like, six amateurs. Uh, I think Tiger, to show you how hard it's for an amateur to win, Tiger finished when he was an amateur. He was the best amateur golfer ever, sort of. He was 41st. So yeah. it's just hard for an amateur to win. And then if you won this year, someone like Michael Thompson, uh, our, our friend Jim Herman. Uh, Jim Herman, Robert Streb. Uh, even though I'm, I'm going to put some money on Jim. I, I, I like to say to. I think it's a hundred. It's like three hundred to one or something. But and then even like Hendrik Stenson, who had a had a buy from the British Open five years ago. There's a lot of so really you're only looking at like fifty five to sixty maybe about seventy sixty five to seventy golfers that really have a good chance to win this tournament, and that's what makes it so exclusive. And uh, and you go through they have ninety, and then you have the cuts to goes to, to fifty to sixty. So let's talk about. I mean, we should give congratulations to Jordan Spieth back in the win column. Um, after I think four years, but uh, he's going to be someone to watch, of course. So my idea about how to pick this is, I think the Masters, unlike the U.S. Open, the PGA, where people go to different, they move around every year. So the point is, someone's won the U.S. Open. Your history is it's your course. Every course plays someone different. The Masters is the same course every year. Now they change the course and change the midpoint. But I think that you have to show that you have actually played this well. Like, I think I don't see someone who's never played well coming up. Patrick Reed had never played the Masters well. He won the tournament. But he grew up in Augusta and had played the course many, many times mm-hmm. before. I mean, he didn't. So the point is, the fact is that I think it's rare that you see a golfer come out of nowhere to win this tournament that hasn't had experience playing the tournament and had experience at least playing well on this tournament. No, you're absolutely right. And but that's why, you know, you see, when you see people do like Masters pools, you always take Bubba Watson at the end because he's done it before and, and you have to, you'd have to factor that in. Yeah, I mean, and that's what Spieth, the interesting thing, because Spieth, Spieth from 2014 to 2018, he was second, first, second, 11th, and third at the Masters. So he would think he's everything. Yeah. He would, he'd be the favorite every year, but then in 19 or 20, he just fell, he fell, you know, up to 80th in the world. Um, he went. He 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 went from 2017. He went 82 starts until the Valero. Uh, without winning, uh, he actually fell to the top, out of the top hundred. Mm-hmm. But he went 82 starts without winning. 220 hit in 2020 and no top fives even. Um, he's only 27 years old, the same age as Bryson DeChambeau. And but then this year he finally found it. He had tied for the 54 hole lead at Phoenix. He finished fourth. He led by two going in the final round of Pebble Beach. He finished third. And then in the in Bay Hill he shot it. He finished four back, but he was he was two behind going the last day. So he had his shot. I mean he was improving, improving. It's nice to see him finally get the win at Valero. Do I think he's ready for the Masters? No, no, because he's still inconsistent in his putting. Even these tournaments that we told on the Sundays, he didn't shoot well on Sunday. So he won on this tournament, but I'm not sold to say he's going to win this tournament. I do expect him to do better. And it's great to see Spieth is extremely popular. So it's great to see him back playing well. People love Jordan Spieth, myself included. was happy to see him win and hope that he's in contention on Sunday this week. Talk, talk about Dustin Johnson. Well, Dustin Johnson, now the fact that this is different than Masters because they played in November. So Dustin Johnson just won the Masters in November by five strokes. dominating, do, dominating, Dominating performance. Uh, it was, and he's always played well. I mean, so he won over Eamon Smith. 
And you're thinking, wait, well, he's only won a few months ago. He should be ready. But he hasn't played well the last yeah. three weeks. And not just well. He was 54th in concession. He was uh, with a 77 and a 78. He was 20 in the, in the WGC. He was 23 shots behind Morikawa. I mean, this is the number one player in the world <laughs> finishing 23 shots. And he was 48th in the players, 15 shots behind Justin Thomas. Remember, they only play four rounds. I mean, that's like an average of four uh, shots around behind. And even at the World Golf, he was terrible. He was 1-1-1, one, 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 the one he just played with. And he, he was supposed to play the Valero, passed on the Valero. He just has, and I followed him with the players, and he just did not see. Like, he was missing on everything. He's so talented and so great that even when he misses, he's able to put it. He's just, he is, his oozes with talent. I just don't think he's on his, like, he's not on his A game. And I, I don't think, I think he could win this with, like, his high B-plus game. I don't think he's at that level. Unless his practicing worked. I, I Look, I'd love to see him in it. He's he's great. He's number, he's the number one golfer in the world. He just won the Masters. He's the favorite to win this tournament. I just am not seeing him winning this this year. Let's talk about Bryson DeChambeau because I think you see a path for a potential victory from him. <laughs> well, he's 27 years old. He's Only three players have won. The, when you hear this, only three players have ever done something, and you're one of the three, and the other two are Tiger and Jack. That means you're in a good you're company. Something like, right. <laughs> that's a great company. So he's the only three players to win the NCAA tournament, the U.S. Amateur, and the U.S. Open. And, uh, I mean, he's, of course, a mad scientist. He puts every—his uh, irons are all the same length. He has the largest uh, grips for his, his clubs. He uses graphite shafts that are different. I mean, everything he does is—his you know, his books that he has are these scientific analysis and those things. <laughs> And, uh, and, of course, in 2018, he won four tournaments. 2019, he retooled his swing, gained 40 pounds of muscle. Now he's driving you know, past everyone and was let himself up for this great year last year and then went to the U.S. Open, dominated the U.S. Open. You're like, he's, he's, he can't win. He can't lose. He won the U.S. Open by six strokes. He was eight strokes above the second-place finishing. And he goes to the Masters horrendous last year in November. Yeah, he was bad. So I remember the first day. It's, like, awful. And you look at his numbers. He, was, he did well on the par threes. He did good on the par fives. The par fours, what, what did him in. What he was trying to do on the par fours was he was saying, I can drive it better than anyone. I don't care what we do at the U.S. Open. I'm just going to drive the ball. But at the U.S. Open, you just go into rough. At the Masters, you're going to trees. You're going, and you couldn't. He, how many times was he behind a tree? You can't hit through it. You could be the strongest guy in the world. Paul Bunyan <laughs> is not going to knock it through a tree. And that's what he was running into is that in the Masters, they learn from Tiger. They're like, we saw what Tiger did. Now, Tiger doesn't hit as hard as Bryson, but they learn to put those trees in certain positions. We're not going to let you go and drive a par four where you're just going to chip on to. We're not going to let you drive to the green, really. They actually put trees so you can't even get to the green. But the but the point is, I think if he can somehow get through those par fours, then he's in good shape. And, and I do think, I'll make this prediction, I don't think he's going to win the tournament, but if he's leading after day one, he's winning. Like, I think he's figured it out. Like, whatever scientific whatever scientific thing he thinks, he's going to go wire. He's going to, this is going to be wire to wire. But I, if he's shoots up uh, three over two, if he does what he does last year, he's not going to, he's not going to figure out in the middle of the tournament. But if he comes in and says, I've got this master. Now, he's talking like he has, but he did last year. He talked the game last year and didn't back it up. We'll see what happens. So he's going to get a lot of money in this. I don't know how confident I am in Rory McIlroy, but you can never count him out. Well, he's 19 to one. He's 11th in the world. He, from 2014 to 20, he's been in the top tens, six out of seven years. And he's, but he's never been a top two or three. But boy, this year, he missed the Genesis. He, he, the cut in the Genesis with a 73 and 76, that's in LA, that's a tournament in LA. He missed the cut in the players shooting a 79 and 75. In the World Golf Championship just two weeks ago, it's Ian Poulter. He lost a match six and five, which is almost impossible with someone with Rory's ability. Yeah. I mean, he's still the second dri longest driver, but he is not putting well 
at all. I mean, just nothing at all. I just don't see, I, it, he hasn't won in 23 tournaments. I just don't, as much as people are gonna put money on Rory, this is not the time I think Rory, he's not playing well enough, not consistently enough to win this tournament. I and mean, I think you'd probably say close to the same things about Brooks Kepka, who just got engaged. <laughs> well, congratulations <laughs> to Brooks. I'm shocked that he's even playing in this tournament. Normally, I'd pick him to win. i pick Brooks to win any tournament. I think he's that good. But he just had knee surgery uh, March 16th for a dislocated kneecap. I mean, I wish Brooks Kepka played in the NBA because I have players <laughs> that like hurt their toenail and they're out for my fantasy team out for a month. Brooks has a surgery for a dislocated kneecap two weeks ago and yeah. he's, try he's out there playing. I think it shows, I think it's great what Brooks is doing. I think he's going to go out there. I like the fact that he recognizes you only have so many masters to play. He recognizes how important this tournament is. I give him a lot of credit for so like I'm healthy enough to do this I'm gonna go do it I'm not might not be I might be 80% but my 80% I'm gonna figure out a way so I I don't think he's gonna win but I love the fact that he's playing yeah I think he's gonna be boom or bust too it's either in contention or doesn't make the cut um, Patrick Reed is someone who you always have to watch out for <laughs> well you have to watch out because he won he won it in 2018 he has a 10th and a 36th and I just it just you're uh, I'm just—it's like one of those things. He's number seven in the world. He's 32 to one. His odds look great. And every now and then, he's like one of those guys that might be playing poorly and then come up with that. He's the one person that comes up with a good tournament out of nowhere when he's playing poorly. So I put his name out just as a mention because I know people were because it passed winter a couple years ago. But I still think at 30, I still wouldn't bet him to win. Yeah, I mean he's got the same odds as Victor Hovland and Tony Finau. So you gotta give some credence to the guy who's won it before. What about like Lee Westwood? Love this pick. Really? I love I love it because. First of all, he's 38 to 1. He's 20th in the world. He's 47 years old. We talked about him in the Honda. Here's a person that in 2010 was world number one. Uh, then he fell off the map in 2018, didn't even enter the Masters US Open PGA. Uh, he put his fiance Helen Story on the bag in 2019. Suddenly he's won three European tournaments and he didn't even play in the in the 2020 in the PGA, but then he went to the Honda. He was one of the tournaments with the Honda. Mm -hmm. But he was second in Bay Hill, second in the players. He's playing great. Uh, the fact that he's had 19 top 10s in the majors <laughs> and, and uh, 12 top 5s, it, it just more than anyone's ever had and never won one. It's just it would be great to see him and he has all this experience at the Masters, all these years of playing and I saw him at the players and following him two rounds. He seems to have the length, has everything. I know he got tired. I think this is a tournament. He took a break, took a week off. I think he's ready for this. I, I think he's some, I, I would not be surprised if he's in, you know, he's in contention in this tournament. So let's talk about some of the young guns here on Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel at 745. Um, there's, I have a good feeling that one of these guys who is young and hasn't won before is going to be either very challenging it towards the end or might even win it, like someone like Cam Smith who finished second last year. Yeah, I mean, that's what, when we say last year, again, it's just a few months ago. Yeah. So Cam Smith finished and in the tournament. The field, it's, they're supposed to be much faster. They were upset that Dustin Johnson destroyed. They felt like he destroyed. Even though everybody else was down, they felt like Dustin Johnson took too much control of the tournament, so they say it's going to be a lot harder, so the scores are going to be maybe even par rather than 1,400 and those things, numbers. But, um, but no, Cam Smith is interesting. He's fourth in the Genesis, 17th in the players, 27-year-old from Australia. See a lot of people interested in him. Uh, Daniel Berger, 39 to 1. Love fifth, Berger. 15th in the world. I mean, he was the hottest player in the world after the uh, after the, the restart. After the restart. But he didn't play. He didn't he hadn't qualified the way they did the Masters in November. He didn't qualify yeah. for the Masters. So it was weird. <laughs> he didn't play in that. And uh, uh, he hasn't played the Masters in two years. So he's someone who really hasn't had you know, played, you know, that many times here. So he's young, hasn't played that many. I certainly could have a great chance. We saw Sun J M who also finished second 
last year in the what we call November. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he's only one top ten as much as he plays. He only one, and he won the Honda. We know him from here. Only one top ten in, in this whole year. Um, what about someone like Morikawa? Got a major under his belt. He has a major, but forty-first in the players, forty-third in the Genesis. Um, he was forty-fourth in the after winning the PGA. He missed the cut in the U.S. Open. Forty-fourth in the Masters. It's sort of like he won the PGA Championship, maybe a little too fast. Everyone anointed him as like the next great superstar. Oh, you're the next Tiger Woods, and and it just it hasn't come through to him. It's like one of those where I'm not calling. He's so young that uh, uh, he's twenty-four years old, so he's not he's not he can has many more years to win. But the point is, maybe it just came a little too fast for him, and now he's had to retool. I don't I don't see him. Competing at the Masters. And, and where he's getting bet, what the value is, it's just not there. As opposed to a guy like Matthew Wolf, whose odds are great in this. <laughs> Matthew Wolf is 120 to yeah, 1. He's 21 like, years old. All I'm going to say is he finished second in the US Open, second in the Shriver. He's, he's never made the cut at the Masters. But if you're going to throw money on someone, I mean, Matthew Wolf is as skilled as anyone. He's won the NCAA tournament. And in fact, that he finished second in the US Open. I mean, it's like those that gets away from my idea where you have to like bet, have you all of you done? And then are you, he has, hasn't done well here and he hasn't played well recently. <laughs> but the point is, he's very talented and he's someone who, who could, at those type of odds, you know, would be able to have a chance. What about Matt Jones? Love. Matt Jones. I think I saw one 180 to one. I mean, I watched the players. I watched uh, the Honda all those days. I watched the t- two rounds of the players. Matt Jones played as well, better, much better than anyone. I mean, Matt Jones on that Sunday at the Honda was unbelievable. Great. The whole time of the Honda. I mean, you're wondering, so, but I just think his odds are so great and he's older and never has an experience. Uh, but boy, it would be just great to see him play. So I, I wanted to mention his name at Herman's Day because the fact of the Honda and the experience, I, I, I just felt like Jones was playing great. If it just, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be mad at myself for not betting Jones. So I'm probably going to bet some money on Jones because I think he's going to, I think he's, he should play well. We're, uh, we're hoping that he does. And uh, we hope uh, that we, we get to talk about someone, one of these guys that we We've uh, become friends with here on Iron Sports next Monday. Um, let's go to the NBA because you think I got to pick my winners. Oh, oh I'm sorry, because <laughs> there's two big guys we haven't talked about. Yeah. Yet. So when I put my out my thing together, I when we put our outline together, I did I forgot to put our winners on here. But my winners, I feel like the the two golfers that have done well at the Masters and also are playing well now. John Rahm is like at six of the last eight tournaments, he's been in the top ten. Uh, he was fourth in the Masters. He's been fourth, ninth, and seventh. So he clearly knows how to play the yeah. Masters well. He is superior as all the skill levels. He's able to. And my, so the standard I have is are, he does make mistakes, which I don't like. Why I think the next person is going to win it. But he knows he's going to birdie the par fives, and hopefully he'll be smart the rest of the tournament. He stays in these top tens. He's he's so close all the time. I just feel like this is John Rahm's time. He just his wife just had the baby. There's issue about the baby whether he's got the wife just had the baby had a, had her baby had their baby. So we'll see. I like Rom will be playing on Sunday in the final group, and I think the winner will be Dustin Thomas. Dustin Thomas, and this is why, because he he just won the uh, the players, played great. He his skill level in terms of getting those par fives. People do not realize how far he drives the ball and how he's able to eagle. You're going to see eagles on the par fives. He's not going to make the stupid mistakes in the par fours, and he's going to putt. He's and his putting is at great. So you have a guy who he, he has his skill level. I think he's like what Dustin Johnson was last year when he coming into this. So I feel like that's why Justin Thomas, with the performance of the players, has convinced me that, and with experience that he had fourth of the Masters last year, that I think we're I think he's set to win it this year. Let's uh, switch over to the NBA, and you you look at a lot of things differently, more analytically than other people, and you think the NBA's got a real problem, and you've convinced me of it as well. 
this isn't a problem. This is a disaster. The NBA right now, I, I don't see anyone talking about this because the people on the NBA channel that I listen to, they don't want to criticize it. And nobody, a lot of people don't talk about the NCAA, NBA. But on Saturday night, when this great Gonzaga-UCLA uh, game was going on, I stayed up and wanted to watch because I'm in all of my fantasy leagues. So I'm watching the NBA like at 1 in the morning after these games mm -hmm. are over. Um, Portland beat Oklahoma City by 48 points. 48 points. Utah beat Orlando by 46. New York Knicks beat... Detroit by by 44 points. Toronto the day before beat Golden State by 53. Phoenix beat Oklahoma City by 37. Why is this happening? What, these are teams that before no one would even lose by 20 points, yeah. let alone 30. Now we're talking 40-point margins. I have to say that Gonzaga or UCLA would have would have kept those games closer. I know that sounds crazy, but just try. Because I'm watching these games and these teams are they're, they're the the players they have, these teams are beyond it's not just tanking. It's like they're not even putting professional players out. The whole thing is a joke. And you cannot have these leagues. You can't ask people to pay money to go these it's not even competitive. This is not like watching a high school basketball game where you're paying ten bucks to go to and one team's you know is great, is gonna win hundred to twenty. These are NBA teams that people are paying money to and the networks are paying money and you're losing by fifty points. I mean, could, would, would you watch the NFL if, if games were scored 65 to nothing, like on a regular basis? It would no. be impossible. How, <laughs> how can the NBA get away with this? This is a joke. And, and one of the things that gets me upset is, not only are the games pathetic, is the players like this week, Philadelphia, Embiid was out, Durant, Kyrie for Brooklyn, Trey Young for Atlanta, uh, Ball for Charlotte got her camera. It's, a lot of these are true injuries. But a lot of these people just sit out. Um, Orlando and Detroit are tanking. Kevin Love hasn't played for Cleveland. LeBron and AD out for the Lakers. McCollum and Nurk have been missed most of the year for Portland. Kawhi and George for the Clippers. Persingas for Dallas. Zion's been missing games now for New Orleans. I can't go through the list. This is ridiculous. The NBA, you cannot ask people to go to these games and pay this money and not have any of these players. This is a serious, serious problem. And the ratings reflect it as well. Uh, the ratings are horrendous. I don't understand. Again, I look at these, these lists. The Wednesday, last week, Wednesday, Brooklyn, Utah, one million fans. The Thursday, 76 Lakers had a million fans. Last year, at the same day, games that weren't even that good had like 1.4 and 1.3 fans. They've lost 400,000 fans, 300,000 fans. 20%. <laughs> I mean, the Formula One that I like to joke about and talk about, they they went from seven, they had 900, they only get a million fans at 10 in the morning, Formula One, which is in major... 900,000 people watched Formula One. 900,000. <laughs> How about hockey? People say, oh, ratings are down for everyone. Hockey last year, on Sunday, Washington Rangers had 750,000 fans. So the same teams are playing on the exact same Sunday. Guess what? Ratings were up from 750 to 800. They're closer to the NBA. And this it's is crazy. the ultimate. The people say, well, there's a difference between cable, not cable. <laughs> then here's then I looked at this thing. AWA Wrestling on Wednesday night, which went against the Brooklyn Utah game. So, so they're the one's on the ESPN, one's on TD. AWA Wrestling is the is like the second tier WDE wrestling. <laughs> it's not even the first tier wrestling. It almost made the same amount it's as insane. the NBA. I, I just I just can't get over how the NBA, the NBA has this is just problems. This is a mess. And these players, you see Drew Holiday just signed for four years, a hundred and sixty million dollar contract. An average guard getting forty million dollars a year. I, I, where is this money coming from? No one's gonna be going to these games next year. No one is watching these games on TV. I, I think I'm telling you, I mean it's a it's a problem. It, it definitely is, and uh, you've got some prediction. We'll talk about that another time. Um, you don't want to talk a little NFL? No, Sam no, no, Darnold. no, definitely NFL. Definitely. Yeah, um, so Sam Darnold now, I don't know if he's going to catch on. He was traded for a, a, a six-round pick and a second and fourth next year. I don't know if he's going to catch on in Carolina, but I have to think, Ira, other teams should have been in on this, like your Pittsburgh Steelers, for how little you had to give up to bring him in the building. Absolutely amazing. Uh, the fact that the Jets... 
I like Sam. Do- I mean, you don't. You're not as high on him. I'm as not. They the Jets without him at quarterback were zero and ten. So as much as his his records were four and twelve, seven nine, two and fourteen. I, his, his touchdown interception ratios 17, 15, 19, 13, 9, and 11. I just think this is a great move. They they really gave up nothing for him. Yeah. And and this is a chance. I mean, they I guess they tried to get into the fourth pick. Atlanta's the fourth pick. Uh, the Panthers want to win now. And but you have Brady, John Brady, who worked with Joe Burrow at LSU. You have Matt Rule, who was at Baylor, who was great. You have this. He's going to a situation with McCaffrey with an offense. I, I like this for Darnell. I think this is the. It's perfect, great for him. This is perfect for Sam Darnell. I think it's great. And I make your point though. I do. I think the Steelers. Why the Steelers won? I mean, Chicago. It, 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 this, again, these other teams that were in, should, should be in the market. For that, and for that, a six-round pick, yes. So. <laughs> I, I, I don't completely hate Arnold, but and, and I've said on the show before, the Jets have the worst skill position players. They had one of the worst coaches, so it's not completely on him. I just don't think he Teddy Bridgewater to, to, to Arnold. I don't think there's that big of a difference. So I'm not going to be surprised if Carolina still takes a quarterback in the first round. Uh, it's either that or take take Panay Sewell or Slater and really give Darnold a shot. It's one or the other for me. I think it'll, I think that where the draft will go is after Wilson and then the 49ers where they take Justin Fields, uh, Trey Lance or Mac Jones, and then what happens if what with Atlanta with fourth if. I, you're looking for Denver and New England to make a move. Like, what? Will, who will they take? Because mm-hmm. they clearly want a quarterback. Maybe Drew Locke's not the answer in, in Denver. But uh, I just look. I thought it was a great. I thought for Sam Darnell. I'm not. I, I saw him when he beat when USC played with USC, and his wide receiver was Juju Smith-Schuster, and they beat Penn State. Uh, so with uh, with Godwin from Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. it was that. So I was at that great uh, football game. I really I like Sam Darnell, and I think this was a good move for for Carolina. And I think it's someone who they feel they can turn into. Like he has the arm strength. He has mobility, has all those things, and he was just in the worst possible. The Jets were terrible. And Matt Rule sees something. It's got to be. Matt Rule doesn't want Bridgewater, and he sees something in Darnold, and he's going to give him a shot. Right, and their owner is... Uh, Tepper. Uh, Tepper just wants to spend money. He bought spent a zillion for the team. I think he's tired of being... He doesn't want a 6-10 and 10 team. Like, he really wants... He's someone who wants to win. He was a minority partner for the uh, Steelers for a number of years. He he saw... Was, like, he wants to win the Super Bowl championship. Like, he, he definitely... When is the AFC South going to be this upside down again, either? You yeah. know, so it's, if, the, if you had a shot, Now's the time to do it. Baseball's underway. I love baseball. I've been glued to it ever since then. We need to talk about Shohei Otani for a second. Of course, he's the two-way player on the Angels. He did something pretty amazing yesterday. So far in this this season, he's got the hardest thrown ball and also the hardest hit ball. That's obviously doesn't happen very often, but some crazy stuff to start the season. No, I mean it's so exciting to it's the first starting pitcher to bat second in a game since 1903. I mean this is Babe Ruth. I yeah. mean he's someone if he can stay healthy. We've been waiting for three years for this to happen. He's finally healthy, and he's such a fun player to watch. And it's so interesting to see this great pitcher also hit. It'd be a great hitter if he hits say 30 home runs and has 15 wins. He's MVP. It has there's to be. No, I mean, there's no. He's gonna be. He can be Cy Young, MVP, everything you want to give him. But he's gonna. He's like, this is so exciting to watch. And I do watching the Angels the other day. It's they're fun to watch because you have, then you have Trout and Rendon and, and, and Otani. This team is making the playoffs this year. They're, they're too good. They're, they have too much talent as long as they stay healthy to make. They haven't won a playoff game in ten years. I know that Mike this Trout. is year. They're, I told you they're gonna make the playoffs this year. But they're they're fun. I pulled a stat up today. Mike Trout today um, yesterday swung at a 3-0 ball out of the zone for the first time in five years. That is just unbelievable. Um, we got plenty of tennis to talk about, Ira. You were there, it seemed like every day, and you, you just love tennis, and it, it turned out to be a pretty good tournament. 
I love the tournament. I got some, here's my points. First of all, about the ambiance. There's four majors and nine Masters 1000s. This is one of the nine. It's a big tournament. It's a big deal. The tennis players are not like the golf. It's even less. They don't play in a lot of tournaments. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this is like one of those big tournaments, they didn't even use the main grandstand. They used an outside grandstand right where the Dolphins play. So it's outside on the parking lot. But it was great this year because there was like a thousand people at every match. Um, the it was outside was beautiful. The parking, the easiest parking you've ever seen. Just drive right in, walk in there. I, from parking into the stadium was three minutes long. It was just perfect. I loved it. There, and it was. And I went to the 72 Club for the first time, which you could go in where the stadium was. It was amazing. In between matches, it was beautiful. All the food, Good everything. Oh, just. I love the whole thing. So, Anna, you know how much I love tennis. And, and in this match, her, in the championship, Herkos, who we had on our show, Hubert Herkos of, of Poland, beat uh, Yannick Skinner uh, of Italy. Uh, and the, it was tw the 29th seed beat the 21st seed. And this is my comment, though. Disaster for this next generation players of tennis. There was no Nadal, no Federer, no Djokovic, no Thiem. So all the big guys are gone. This is like at the at the basketball court when all the stupid best players are, are gone, and then you're like, oh, the second tier players, and you're supposed to pick up, and they're like, oh, we're going to take over, and they don't play well. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Medvedev, he's number two in the world. This is his 25 years old. He, he I saw him beat TFO, but in the quarters he lost to Roberto Batista Gut, who's actually ranked 12th in the world. But he literally gave up at six to, in the second set. He was losing the match, and he just started like, if you ever play with someone who doesn't want to play anymore. They're just making like yeah. faults, hitting the ball. It was, the ball was either going to be a winner or over the stadium. Like it was terrible. Like you're the number two player in the world. You can't play like that. Tsitsipas, I was so excited to watch him. First time I ever saw Stefanos Tsitsipas, the number two seed of Greece. He's number five in the world, 22 years old. He's 6'4", has great power on his serve, great everything. Court, he's, he, could, he is all the skill level, superstar player. But then I saw him lose to Kirkos in three sets. He played terrible in the third set. He was up in the whole match. He doesn't close well. And then Zverev, who we saw in the final, none of these guys have won. They're all top seven players and none of them have won a Grand Slam and you can see why and Zarev lost the final three years ago to Isner who everyone says is going to be he's a Russian he's seventh in the world 23 years old he lost to uh, Rezuvan a 22 year old who's like ranked 100th in the world so and then Rublev actually made it to the semis before Herkos beat him and he's ranked uh, Rublev's ranked eighth in the world 23 years old so none of these next generation superstar players in a tournament that none of the big guys were in could win and that leads me to believe they're not going to be the big guys they're not going to take over this they're not Gonna, the Medvedev's not going to win four or five majors. I loved how Herkos. Herkos looks like Djokovic out there. He beat Shapovalov, Ronik, who was a 12 seed, Tsitsipas, and Rublev. He played great. He has an all-court game. Moves the ball around. He plays like a chess master, hitting the balls on different side. And I absolutely loved Sinner. My other story was Sinner. Sinner was great. 19 years old from Italy. Played smart. Played great. Loved him watching in this thing. Uh, American men. Nothing, actually, except yeah. for Corda. So we saw Corda at the Delray Open. Corda made it to the semifinals. He 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 uh, he lost to uh, Horkaj in the Delray Open. But uh, besides, you know, he played great. But besides then, uh, Isner had two. Isner's getting older, so it's hard to win. But he's eight. He was the top seed, but he lost in the round of 16. Opelka lost in the first round. Um, the other seed, Taylor Fritz, lost in two rounds. TFO, you know, no American men made the round of six. It was to the quarterfinals, so that was a mess. And what about the women's side? At, well, this was stronger field. All the the top names played in this tournament, and Ash Barty, who I haven't seen live, uh, seen play live. She's number one in the world from Australia. Uh, she beat Bianca Andreso six three four zero because Andreso quit in the finals she retired because of an ankle injury um, but Ash Party showed me 
look, she's never won the world. She's only won one major, but she's a smart player. She'll she'll just she just knows how to play well out there. Not a big strong serve, but she doesn't just pit her the ball back. She's actually hits the winners when they can. And I uh, enjoyed watching her play. She's a nice person. All the interviews. These after they win, they talk. They do interviews. You could hear them talk, and they're great. Uh, Naomi Osaka, who I said everyone said next Serena Williams. She won one match and then lost 6-0-6-4 to the number of 25 player in the world. Didn't even try. Said, I just happened to be out in the tournament. Well, this is one of your 13 major tournaments. you got to at least try to play. Serena's won this tournament think. eight times. So <laughs> you don't care about winning this tournament, but Serena has won this tournament eight times. So Again, I can't stand people compare Osaka to Serena. There is no comparison whatsoever. And then Andreso is interesting. She's someone who two years ago uh, uh, won the U.S. Open, won Indian Wells, and then uh, and, and was going to be the superstar, but then got injured and then COVID hit really played in almost two years and now she comes back and does well makes it to the final interesting about her is she has a dog coco the dog sits in the front row Weird. the entire match but watches like like a person like more into the match than most of <laughs> you would be into the match <laughs> possibly so, and then the american women were again no women in the top 16 there was uh, Kennan, Brady, Keys, Risk, uh, pagula were all seated players there were five seated players none of them even made the top 16 but I love going to this tournament. I think it's great. I like the Delray's good, and it's just something I, as someone who likes tennis, I'm glad we could talk. We, you know, I'm glad I have my own show. The shirt you talk. got is awesome from it. I love the shirt that you got. I have from great it. shirts. I great. It's just the whole thing. They have these these VIP areas that are that are that are neat that aren't even VIP. This one, this one VIP area. They had one that if you just it was from Michelob Ultra where they had this thing where you walk up, it was free, and it was really nice to sit around. You take pictures with the tennis ball. And there was this other area that looked exactly like it. It was three hundred dollars, and I'm like, what? One is three hundred dollars and one is free. Like how in the world's going to the three hundred dollar one? And then, it, it reminds me of the Honda Classic. The Puma tent was right on the bear trap. Same different <laughs> sides of the tee box. One you pay for, one you don't. So no, I was I was I was all excited about. It. I, I loved I love going and I just it's like every day I kept saying I'm not going to go to another one. I did and it was just it's fun to go to these events. So when there's nobody around you, like literally this was less than football and anywhere else. Like there was like I I sat in a seat yesterday for the finals. There wasn't a person within three rows. I mean they were seats were all closed down nobody could sit there and i got one little seat and there was like no one around me <laughs> <laughs> we're about out of time what, uh, what are you doing this week um, I'm going to just watch the matches. I mean, the Heat play on Tuesday and Thursday. I like to catch a Heat game soon. I was the way the tickets right. If you if you get vaccinated, you pay like a third of what the other people do. So I got my first shot. So I'm one shot away, and then I'll be able to to pay less. But I I, I think it's one of those things where you want to watch the Masters. You want to watch the Masters on Wednesday, on Thursday and Friday, and you can watch it early on the on the computer. So from like 9:30 to three, you have to watch feature groups. It's really complicated. You can only watch the feature groups, so like two groups or the holes, special holes, and then at three. It's only from three to seven on ESPN. Don't try Golf Channel. Don't try all this, uh, those things. And then the same thing on CBS on Saturday and Sunday. So it's ESPN on Thursday and Friday and on CBS on Saturday and Sunday. Might hear our good friend uh, Andrew Catalan doing some of the Masters yes. coverage. on the computer. He's yeah, he on, does the he featured does holes all, and stuff. Yes, and he does the featured hole golfers and those things. And I, I like that. I mean, I love the featured groups because you know Tiger was always going to yeah, be a featured group. And the one time he wasn't, I was like, this has to be the stupidest <laughs> thing in the world. Um, but there's, like Tiger should have his own per computer all the time. But it was like it, I don't I don't I wish it was on TV though because it's harder because I'd rather it be on television than than on the computer. I agree with you. We're out of time though. Thanks so much to Coach Gary Waters on behalf of Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.